Welcome in 8 by 80 podcast, the Nebraska Talk Radio Edition, Austin Ham, Tyler Smith, and we are recapping what was a very interesting round of 16 for D1 and D2. There wasn't, there was a lot of chalk. There wasn't a lot of craziness, but we had two upsets, so two single score games, and one game that really made us both raise our eyebrows, and it was one of the first games that went off on the day, too. Yeah, and that's one that I was debating on going over to as I got off work early. And then as I checked the score at the end of the first quarter, and I was like, well, I'm not going to make the drive over to that one. Um, and that was Crofton playing host to Bridgeport. Um, that was a game that we kind of highlighted as being more of a close game. We actually thought it'd be a little bit more of a low scoring affair, the way both teams like to keep it on the ground. Um, and that just flat out wasn't the case. Crofton ended up winning that one 72 to 34. Um, it was 28 to six after the first quarter. I mean, halftime 58 to 22. I mean, if you'd have just stopped the game right there, you'd have said it was an impressive performance, but Crofton just continued to keep putting it on. Um, they really, I mean, from the start, they just got up early. Um, the D line for Crofton was, has been impressive to me all season and they really stood out in this one. Um, Bridgeport's best plays came if Wybert could kind of break contain and, and uh, run off of the contain uh, in more of a scramble type fashion. Um, but really, those DNs did a great job of setting the edge and not not letting um, Wy- Wybert get that get that outside um, break of contain. So really impressed there with the Warriors D line and, and Wyatt Tramp. I mean, the way he's been able to run through contact and keep his balance really ever since I got to see him in week two um, in Bloomfield in person, being able to just run through what would be good tackles for most guys really just impressed with the way that he runs the ball. Um, I think we actually got robbed a little bit, not getting to see that more as he was banged up a lot last year, but um, really the Warriors have just kind of, they snuck up on our radar um, and they've really become the team that everybody thought they were going to be a year ago. Yeah, and that's really what it is. Is like you said, I think in the health of Wyatt Tramp. I don't. I I think we probably understated what the loss of him a year ago meant, and didn't adequately take into account what it looked like, what this offense would look like with him as the primary ball carrier. I mean, they do that little inside toss, and they seal the gap, and he's able to shoot through it. And then he's just got the physicality to run through arm tackles. And then it's him one-on-one with somebody. And they keep, and if they try to go for his ankles, they could get him all the way spun around. But in this game, Bridgeport just couldn't get him down on the ground. I think he had 21 carries, uh, over 200, almost 220 yards. So I know he was over 10 yards a carry. He had five touchdowns. He was just an absolute monster in this one. It was really, really impressive, I thought, from Crofton. I mean, there's they just completely dominated this game. You saw some injuries crop up for Bridgeport, but really the game was pretty well in hand by the time that that happened as well. So big time win for Crofton. Uh, they get to ho- they actually have to travel this week to Elkhorn Valley, and the, the Warriors are in an interesting position here as they try to get themselves to a semifinal. And, you know, let's just move to Elkhorn Valley. I think that segues nicely. That was one of the two upsets that we had here in the round of 16 and that was Elkhorn Valley with a 36 to eight win over Plainview. We talked about this one a lot on both shows last week, especially coming off of the round one win for Plainview over Hardington, Newcastle, Ty Diedrichson going down with that knee injury. He didn't play in this game and that mattered. 
Elkhorn Valley was more physical. They were able to run the ball effectively enough with Mason Hageman. They were, it wasn't like they were breaking off big long runs. They had a couple of longer ones, but for the most part, they were just nickel and diamond and battling their way down the field and ultimately just able to win with more physicality. Uh, the Pirates were starting to deal with some additional injuries. You saw Gage Walton get knocked out of this game. Turnovers really cropped up for Plainview as well, Tyler. And that, I mean, they were already kind of playing with a sh- short hand without Diedrichson and then when Walton got hurt. But I think those turnovers really just kind of killed any chance they had of getting through this one. Yeah, and the turnovers really came at unopportune times. I mean, you saw um, a pick early as Plainview was getting down the field, then... Um, another pick there in the first half, um, and then back-to-back series were fumbles um, by one of the seniors in Spencer Hilly. Um, so, and and one of those fumbles came on a long pass from uh, Carter Lingenfelter before the half at the backup quarterback, um, who threw a really nice ball. And uh, it was more so it looked like Spencer was um, corralled. It was taking a couple steps and then getting hit as he was kind of coming down with it, which ended up breaking it loose. Um, But really, it was just the turnovers at bad times. Like, it was basically right as playing, you was starting to get some momentum, starting to get something going. All of a sudden, boom, Elkhorn Valley's back with the ball again, leaning back on that run game. I mean, Elkhorn Valley only completed four of, I think it was like 14, 16 attempts passing. So really, they got it done on the ground. But when you look at the box score, their total yardages between the two teams are actually really close. But Six turnovers for the Pirates is is really what did them in. Um, really, this could be almost like a flip-flop of the way that um, this game went in week eight. Um, you saw Elkhorn Valley losing that game, and they had lost two fumbles into the end zone as they were trying to trying to break the plane there. Um, and Plainview was able to recover and then start, start their own offensive drives. So... Bad turnovers for Elkhorn Valley in week eight, and really the the bad turnovers and the injury bug just came to bite Plainview in towards the end of this one. So regardless, Elkhorn Valley hadn't won a playoff game in school history. Now they've got two in back-to-back, been playing some really good ball as of late. Um, and you got to remember, Plainview just, I think it was two, yeah, like two years ago, they were 0-8. So um, big turnarounds for both of these programs, so something to keep in mind there. Um, I guess that we'll just kind of segue that over to kind of the perennial matchup um, of one of the most historic D2 programs um, and one of the most kind of turned around programs in Howells, Dodge, and Ainsworth. This is the game that had a ton of eyes on it. Um, probably one of the most watched eight-man games Um for the reasons I previously stated in Howells Dodge, having one of the one of the greatest histories um, in terms of just being powerhouses in eight-man football. And then you've got Ainsworth, the star-studded team that's really just kind of turned the whole program around, um, riding off that undefeated season, regular season into the playoffs. Um, and the bottom line in this game, I mean, Howells Dodge won at 32-12 to 12 on the roads. So there's, there's our other bigger upset. A lot of people really didn't see it as an upset just because of the way that Howells' season went um, with those losses to St. Francis and to Why Not. I mean, played some really good teams, um, and they're a good team that's starting to get healthy, starting to kind of figure out their footing again, um, typically as you see the Jaguars do in the postseason. But 
the main takeaway from this game was just Howell's dodge not being overwhelmed physically by Ainsworth. Um, and really, Ainsworth just didn't have an answer for that. I mean, they were used to kind of pushing guys around, being able to have their way offensively and defensively. Um, this is really almost like deja vu if you're Ainsworth because of the way that their season ended last season as they ran into a physical Elm Creek team. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some talk about maybe there were some distractions um, with the Husker semi being parked at the game and all the different eyes on it and kind of the expectations that Ainsworth has had on them due to the fact that they've had Carter Nelson, uh, Trey Appelt, and um, Tregan McNally all, all receiving college interests there. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of chatter about that. But the main thing to take away from this game was just how physical Howell's dodge was um, and the fact that they came well prepared and were willing to take the fight to the Bulldogs. Yeah, and that's really what we hadn't seen at any point in Ainsworth's schedule is they – they hadn't played anybody that had the physical capability to take the fight to them. And they were able to really just dominate. And Howell's Dodge was able to, I mean, more than toe the line. They were really, really impressive in this game start to finish. They never felt like they were really in any sort of trouble. I think the only time that you and I really had some questions about the Jaguars was the time they went to the air and threw the interception because it just didn't feel like that was something that they needed to do. If they hadn't done that, I don't know what, what nitpick you would have with their game offensively. They, I think they threw the ball a total of three times, didn't do a lot with it, but didn't need to Hunter Luther, the star sophomore, he finished with 51 carries for 298 yards and three touchdowns. Dylan Burkachik added 18 carries for hundred yards and a score as well. They were just those two were just absolutely everything they needed. They weren't ultra explosive. They broke broke a couple of longer runs, but they were really just getting the yardage they needed, getting the yardage they needed, never getting behind the sticks, just taking care of business. And you said, like you said, 32 to 12. I think an important thing to note is those two touchdowns for Ainsworth didn't come on offense. Ainsworth returned an interception and blocked a punt into the end zone. And that's how they scored their touchdowns. They were not able to get anything going on that side of the ball. They finished with 93 total yards rushing, 48 total yards passing, and an interception. They just could not, just at no point did it feel like Ainsworth was able to get things going. They weren't able to run against the really physical front five of Howell's Dodge. They weren't able to get the pass protection needed to try to set up some of their downfield passing game. And they just were not able to find any answers to the team. Yeah, and, and really the, watching this game, um, the way things went in the first half, really made me think of uh, a game that you and I called on the radio for KBRX in the playoffs um, a couple years ago for Bloomfield where um, they took on an EPPJ team. Um played host there and EPPJ threw a pick six early on in that game um, that really kind of sparked Bloomfield to kind of get them back into the game early um, and actually gave them the lead at that point in the game. Um, and then we didn't see Elgin throw another touch or throw another pass the rest of the night and just relied on the run game. And, and, and when the pick six happened early for Howell's Dodge, the whole thing I could think about was we are not going to see them put the ball in the air again the rest of this game. And uh, I think it only happened one or two more times after that, um, which was a, a completion, a much needed completion at the time. Um, 
But yeah, that whole time I was like, this is going to be exactly like that game two years ago where they are not going to throw the ball. They're going to know you're they're going to rely on what they know best. And that's that toss sweep game um, and toss ISO. And they are just going to hammer and hammer and hammer until something finally gives. Um, Like you talked about, the runs weren't super explosive, but they were really finishing runs well, putting the shoulder down. um, Good, good contact balance, similar to what we were talking about with Wyatt Tramp at Crofton. Um, Really teams need to be worried about this this Jaguars offense um more more and and just as concerned with the defense as well I mean um they've really risen to the occasion against most off and some pretty good offenses that they've played throughout the season so I'm excited to see how they continue um through the postseason yeah really I mean at the end of the day it's uh everybody thought oh maybe this was the downhill dodge year with two losses, but after that win over Ainsworth, this looks like your classic Howells Dodge, Mike Spears coached um, uh, playoff team. They're here. They're going to run the ball. They're going to come at you. They're going to hit you hard. And I can't imagine anybody would be excited to play them at any point, given how they've looked against Bloomfield and now against Ainsworth in these first two weeks of the playoffs. So those are the two upsets. Again, Elkhorn Valley defeated Plainview in a revenge game and Howells Dodge with the big time win over Ainsworth. So that leaves us just with our two single score games from the round of 16. And we'll start in D1. Well, these are actually both D1. Now I say that, but the eight, nine game was Arapaho with a 12-6 to win over Ravenna. And, Tyler, I think the first thing that you and I said, or one of the things we said when we were previewing this one, was almost certainly used the words potential shootout, and that was very wrong. Yeah, very, very wrong. And and really, when I turned this game on, it was 6-6. to So um, final score ended up being 12-6 to with Arapahoe taking the win over Ravenna. So potential shootout was definitely wrong. I mean... I suppose you could keep the potential part, and so we we don't get potential. completely completely sued over the deal. But um, yeah, I mean, this was a case of um, some some good defenses, and then I came away really impressed. I caught most of the second half of this game, um, and Ravenna did a really good job of just kind of game controlling um, and keeping the ball in their offense's hands, never being too rushed, um, and and really were effective in terms of just kind of game control aspect of it um, to keep a Arapahoe's offense on the sidelines. Um, so I think that's part of why you see the score the way that it is in, in terms of how um, really that second half that I watched, I felt like I was mostly watching um, Arapahoe's defense. So um, there was there was that part of it. Um, and then there was also several miscues. Um, when Arapahoe was on offense, they seemed pretty explosive. Um, but had a red zone fumble, a muffed punt, um, kind of just shooting themselves in the foot to where this game might have gotten worse if if it weren't for those miscues in terms of a Rapho being able to win by uh, potentially two, maybe three scores in that aspect. Um, but really, I came away impressed with the way that Ravenna was able to um, control um, who had the ball, especially in that second half to keep this one close. Yeah, it it was a great game plan by the Blue Jays, certainly. And you could see that throughout this game, really. But like you said, those Arapaho mistakes. I mean, I think about their first handful of drives there in the first half when I was watching back on the tape today. I, I think, let's see, they had a turnover on downs. If they weren't in the red zone on their first position, they were very, very close. Their second possession, they drove down inside the red zone and then fumbled. 
Uh, third third possession was when they muffed the punt. They were just they just could not seem to string things together very well. And then on top of that, all their kind of star running back safety linebacker Will Casey he got nicked up in that first quarter with a hamstring. And we saw a little bit of that just at some different games. This was certainly the coldest game day that we've had in the state so far this year, and that seemed to kind of rear its head. And Casey missed us. I think missed maybe two three series with that hamstring put a wrap on it and came back in and he played through it and he played pretty well, but you could see clearly this is one of the more explosive fast guys that we have regardless of team. And he just was not, not fully himself in the majority of that game. So you got to wonder between the different mistakes and not having your best athlete being a hundred percent. There's like you said, there's probably a little bit more meat on the bone for Arapaho than that 12, six score would indicate, but at the same time, you look at that and go, okay, so if Arapaho can clean up those mistakes, if they can get the, if they can get those explosive plays going a little bit again next week, maybe this is a team that is a little bit better than that 12-6 score would indicate, and maybe they've got a little bit more life and a little bit more juice in them as they take on top-seeded Stanton going forward. Right, and that Stanton team is one that we've we've hit on multiple times throughout the season of being kind of culprits of the same thing, where they at times have a hard time of getting that out of their own way um, with some penalties or turnovers or, or whatever. Um, so if that's the case, maybe, maybe that game has a little bit more juice to it. If you kind of compare what, what a wrap can be um, and what Stanton has done, um, especially when you think back to last year's postseason games. Um, so um I know a lot of people are going to kind of write that game off, but it's got some more juice than people give it credit for. Um, and you talk about that first drive for Rappo, if I remember right, um, it was a turnover on downs, but it was also right after they uh, looked like they had scored a long touchdown that was called back um, due to stepping out of bounds. So more points come off the board when you think about the miscues there. So um, really I've, I've come away um, impressed with both of these two teams. I mean, both of them kind of flew under our radar a little bit. Um, Ravenna really the last two years has done that where they just kind of flew under our radar a little bit, um, had a really good regular season and then were able to do some things postseason. Um, and you can see the coaching that they had, um, with the game plan they had in place, um, and the way that they were able to be efficient in that game plan, of trying to keep a Arapaho's explosive offense off the field. Um, and then Arapaho, I swear, every time I'm on social media, I see something more impressive about Arapaho. Um, if anybody's looking for some inspiration on how to paint your field, um, go, go back and watch this game because Arapaho did an awesome job um, painting the logo. Um, really, the field just looked awesome. They're, the branding that they do over in Arapaho has just been super impressive to see out of, a, out of small towns. So... I, I swear, like these two teams, I, I don't think they're going to fly um, under the radar next season. Um, I think I'm going to have to pay a little bit more attention to them during the offseason when we do our district previews because um, for flying under the radar, I came away from this game really impressed with both programs as a whole. This is two years in a row that Ravenna has done this to us too, and this is probably the last time that we'll talk about them until we get into the offseason and start looking at those previews. So I just want to say it now that we need to tattoo it somewhere on ourselves Take a close look at the Blue Jays. I think last year they went 7-1 and one in the regular season. This year they went undefeated. 
Just we have to remember next year to keep an eye on Ravenna. And obviously Arapaho bringing so much of this talented team back, regardless of how this week against Stanton goes. Yeah, we're going to be we're going to be watching both of these teams as we go into 2024. Last game that we're going to look at, it was the tightest game of the week. Sandy Creek with a 22 to 20 win over Weeping Water. And we had said last week that Weeping Water was again in, in a position to punch above their seating. And Sandy Creek would probably agree with that. They got all that they could handle from the Indians. But Ethan Shaw running the ball was able to really carry the Cougars when they needed to. And Weeping Water had a chance to tie it up, but failed to convert the two-point conversion late. And that senior class with those guys, I mean, you talk about Sailor Rhodes, uh, Wilson, uh, Braden Harms, just so many talented, talented guys. They were right there. We had talked about both of these teams coming throughout the season, had had moments where it was, can you make the one play that we need to win this ball game? And that they had both been able to do it. And man, it was just right, right there. It was just such a game of inches. This one was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean, um, and really, you got to kind of tip the hat to um, those Weeping Water seniors, the the way that they were able to battle through the postseason last year after that grueling regular season schedule, um, where they got lower seed, they were on the road for most of the most of the postseason. Um, were able to take down was Cross County the ones they were the three seed I think last year when they knocked them yeah, off. Yeah, they, they weren't the one because of the, the no. schedule stuff. Yeah, right. But I think they were the top top three seed, knocked them off. I mean, they were able to do some serious damage and kind of become the postseason Cinderella last year. Then this year, same schedule, um, were able to come into the postseason in a little bit better spot um, and came up just short to a Sandy Creek team who we really kind of fell in love with. Um, when they played or, uh, Riverside um, and came away super impressed with them. And this is a team that we talk about in D1, how there's there's essentially a tier of top top three, top four, arguably as we get through the postseason more, a top, top five tier of teams where you can truly say that they are championship contenders. And Sandy Creek is in that five. Um, that you want to talk about and the fact that weeping water was able to kind of push them. Um, and you talk about game of inches. I mean, you think about it as a two point conversion. So it's what two yards, three yards, um, really just super impressed with both, both of these programs, um, with the way that they've also put themselves in, in position to win games, especially late with those, those plays that they needed to make. Um, we talk about Sandy Creek beating EMF in three overtimes that came down to a two point conversion, uh, weeping water. This one came down to a two point conversion. Um, it's crazy to think that just a couple yards can either keep your season alive or have you checking in the pads that, that coming week. Um, but this is a game that we thought was going to be good. We had high hopes for, and it gave us everything that we were asking for offense, defense, drama late. I mean, game to game to go back and watch it's this one go go find this stream and go back and look at this one yeah and as always the sandy creek kids doing a fantastic job on their strive stream as well always a fun one to watch and fun when the games get to live up to the hype but those are the five uh, kind of big time performances from the round of 16 that we wanted to hit on so now we move on to the quarterfinals just eight teams left on both sides and tyler we've got a couple of games 
we we both picked one game that we wanted to pick to highlight, and it just wound up being that both of those games came from uh, came from D two. So I'll go ahead and let you go first. Yeah, and I promise we're not biased against D one. It's just just these ones just had a little bit more juice. Um, I'm actually going to take the Jaguars um, of Howell's Dodge finally getting to host a postseason game um, this season, and they're going to be hosting Dundee County Stratton. Um, so good long bus right there. This game will probably be isolated as an early kick. So, um, going to be easy to keep eyes on this one. Um, I think it'll be on a YouTube stream if I, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so if you miss it, you'll still be able to go back and watch it. But this one, I just think has a lot of juice to it. I mean, you saw Howell's Dodge take down, um, Carter Nelson and, and the Ainsworth Bulldogs, um, in a real physical matchup. Uh, Dundee County Stratton brings a lot of physicality in their own right in Jackson Kershaw, uh, Ethan Lada on the back end of the defense and in the run game as well, um, as well as some other guys that they got up front that that are really able to kind of control the line of scrimmage a little bit better than I think that that Ainsworth team um, did last week. So I think Howell's Dodge in terms of physicality is going to see a little bit more out of the Tigers this week. Um, but like I said, they get to host long bus ride weather should be better um so maybe maybe we see them throw more than three passes um but again you throw a pick six early i don't think you're going to be throwing the ball very much um especially not if your house dodge so this one's just got a lot of juice just because of the fact that house really seems to be playing some of their best ball at the moment and then dundee county stratton with kind of their own star-studded team um that's that has been playing some pretty good ball in their own right um, the big question with Dundee County Stratton is there's been some games where they get out to some slow starts. Um, and that's this Howell's Dodge team is the last team you want to get a slow start against. Because if they can get up two scores the way they're able to kind of game control and keep the ball away from you with that run game. Um, that's the last thing you want is a deficit when you're playing the Jaguars. Yeah, and not to not to gloss over this either. The, this would be this is the third straight postseason that Dundee County Stratton and <clears throat> that Dundee County Stratton and Hell's Dodge have faced off. And Hell's Dodge is two and zero oh in those past two seasons. So the Jaguars have ended the Tigers the last two years. I got to imagine that the big fellas, Derek Knopfinger, uh, Jackson Kirkle, are both uh, pretty tired of that end. So it'll be really exciting to watch that. Other game I wanted to highlight, South Loop hosting Central Valley. We've talked about the Cougars a lot more these last couple weeks. We've both really kind of gotten really excited and interested in what they're able to do offensively, all the physicality that they bring. South Loop has been one of our favorite teams from the offseason. They've been our number one team since, I think, week two of the regulars of the season. They've got, I think, well, I suppose we did bump them down to two here, but they've been one or two for us pretty much for the last two months. And this should be an absolutely outstanding matchup. You talk about the trench play, Joey Salick and Rio Raymond for South loop, what Trey Connell's been able to do as the option quarterback for that. And that physicality matching up against just a hard hitting central Valley team that comes at you with a lot of athletes in a lot of different ways. There's I'm there's too many matchups. I think to list, we'll go into that one in a little bit deeper dive when we do our preview show coming up on Wednesday night. So that'll be live for you on Thursday. But I think that's going to do it for today's Nebraska Talk Radio show. Thanks for listening. Always happy to be a part of Nebraska Talk Radio. Again, if you want to hear this episode first, if you're listening in our podcast feed, it comes out in the podcast feed on Wednesday mornings. But it'll be available 
earlier in the week exclusively on Nebraska Talk Radio. So if you're looking for our recap sooner, that is where you can find it. Otherwise, we will talk to you guys later. See ya.